0: All right. Good morning again. I am on, right? Okay. All right. We are still working our way through the Bible this year. We have made it to the Ten Commandments, um, Mount Sinai. The Ten Commandments is where we'll be. Um, So we'll be Exodus chapters 19 through 24, if you want to be flipping. Exodus 19, chapter 19, verse 1 is where we'll start. Um, And then, I do have the uh, verses on the back of the bulletins out in the foyer if you need to get a bulletin. Let's open up in prayer. Father, we love you, and Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for giving us your word in a way that we can study it and and, and, and know it and, and know the truth about who we are and who you are. Father, your word is your revelation of yourself to us. And Father, it shows your desire, your immense desire to have a relationship with us even though we're separated by sin. Father, you've dealt with that sin and made a way for us to be united with you in perfect relationship. And Father, we we know that that's your heart, that you love us and desire to be with us and desire us to be with you. And so, Father, I pray that as we read your word today, that it would sink into our hearts and change our hearts and change, open our minds to see what it is, why it is that you've included this in here in the way that you've included it so that we would, what we would learn from it and gain hope from it. We love you, Father. Please guide us through this sermon and this message and change us because of it to live differently. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. All right, so we are starting off um, here with Mount Sinai. And so uh, this is where we're picking up in Exodus chapter 19, starting in verse 1. It says, In the third month, From the very day the Israelites left the land of Egypt, they came to the Sinai wilderness. They traveled from Rephidim, came to the Sinai wilderness, and camped in the wilderness. Israel Israel camped there in front of the mountain. Moses went up the mountain to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain. This is what you must say to the house of Jacob and explain to the Israelites. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you, on eagle's wings, and brought you to myself. Now, if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples, although the whole earth is mine. And you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. These are the words that you are to say to the Israelites. Just a little backtrack of where we were to get to this. It says in verse 1. It said, in the third month from the very day the Israelites left the land of Egypt. So the Israelites have been saved by God's miraculous hand. They experienced the ten plagues, and then God brought them through the Red Sea. And this is three months later of wandering around in the wilderness. Three months they've come to this Mount Sinai. So what we notice that happened first is God saved them from their enemy, first. God saved them from Pharaoh. God saved them from the hand of Egypt first. And once he saved them, he didn't just save them as as some conquering nations would do where they come in and they release you from serving that ruler of that nation and now they force you to be their slaves. That's not what God did with the Israelites. God saved them from the bondage of slavery in Egypt, but then he set them free. He literally set them free and said, now you are free. Now you're in the wilderness, but you're free. And so then he gave them a choice and he gave them an offer. And the offer was to enter into a covenant relationship with him. The offer was for him to be their God and for them to be his people in a covenant relationship with him. And that's what is happening here on Mount Sinai. When Moses first goes up the mountain, and we'll get to that in a minute, so I I better not jump too far. But what, what you'll see is that at the beginning of Mount Sinai and Moses and the people going up on the mountain, they're still separated from God. They're not allowed directly in his presence. Then they have this covenant relationship, and then they're allowed to be in relationship with him. And that's what this whole point of this Mount Sinai and the Ten Commandments is about. So he told them, he started off by saying, you have seen, let me back it up, he said, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the people's although the whole earth is mine and you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. These are the words that you are to say to the Israelites. So he's telling Moses, this is what I want you to tell the people. I carried you on eagle's wings. I rescued you. I saved you. And now I'm offering a covenant relationship with you if you will accept it. Um, It would be similar to, and, and don't get me wrong, the overwhelming majority of references in the New Testament, the, the Bible, are references as God being a father and we being a children. That's the family relationship that he picked to explain to you and me the relationship that he desires, to be our father and us to be his children. But that's not the only reference he uses. He also uses a reference of marriage a, couple time, a few times in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And so, in essence, it's not the perfect analogy. You can't take every single analogy and, and, and use it. But it's a good one to see that, in essence, what God is doing on Mount Sinai, in a way, is he's proposing. And he's saying, will you marry me? Will you be mine? And I will be yours. And he's offering a covenant relationship. That's what a marriage is. A marriage is a covenant relationship. And so he's asking, will you enter into a covenant relationship with me? It's similar to the stories. And again, just you've got to take the parts that work and ignore the other parts. But it's similar to imagining a knight that goes and slays the dragon and rescues the damsel in the distress, which is usually a princess, is she not? And so she's a, she's a princess, and she's being held captive by an enemy, the dragon. And she's, she's, she has, she's not free She has no ability to choose what to do. So what does the knight do? Is this how the story normally goes when you read the story? Does the knight first sneak his way up through the castle to the damsel and say, Hey, I know you're a princess. I really would like to be a king one day. I'll make you a deal. If you agree to marry me, I'll go slay this dragon. That's not how we read the stories, is it? No. The knight comes out, and don't get me started on dragons because... That's a whole other topic. But the knight comes out with his sword, and he immediately goes into battle to slay the dragon. And when he does, he frees the damsel. So he rescues her from the one who was holding her captive, and now she's free. She is not obligated nor forced to live happily ever after with the knight. She could easily say, Thank you. Now take me back to my kingdom. And that's, all, and that's all she was obligated to. But the story normally goes, they fall in love and get married and enter a covenant relationship. That's, that's kind of like what we see here with God rescuing the Israelites from the captivity of Pharaoh in Egypt and then setting them free at the base of the mountain and then proposing, giving an offering <clears throat> will you enter into a relationship with me? Now, the damsel who's been saved by the dragon, she's head over heels for the night. Why? Because she sees how much he loved her and put his life on the line for her. And what are we to see here? We're to see the Israelites' proper response is to say yes. Why? Because I see how much you love me, and I don't want anybody else. I don't want any other God. I want you. I want you as my God. And I want to be your, your people. So God, maybe we should write these books. We don't have to. It's right here. but They've got lots of kid versions. But God is the ultimate greatest love story. The greatest dragon slayer. Satan is referred to as a dragon in the scriptures. He's the greatest hero who ever existed. And he even made a little comment. He said, although, in verse 5, he said, although the whole earth is mine. In other words, although all the people already belong to me, although all the people of earth already belong to me because they're my creation, I own them. He said, I want a special relationship with you. And that's what happens when you enter into that covenant marriage relationship with your spouse. You say, although there's all these single people available, I'm choosing. I just want this special relationship with you, that I'm going to share with you. I'm going to share my 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 love and affection with you. Like I'm not going to share with anybody else. That you're going to have this special relationship with me. That I'm going to hold to, and I'm not gonna I'm not going to treat other people the same way that I treat you. And I expect you not to treat other the other people the same way you treat me. There's something special about this relationship that we have. Something that we share together, even though. God says all the people are his. He says, I want you, I want to have a special relationship with you. And he said, you're going to be a kingdom of priests and my holy nation. And that's where he's saying the setting it apart. Holy means to be set apart. But this is what he means by you, setting you apart, having that special relationship with you as opposed to everybody else. What does a priest do? A priest intercedes on your behalf between you and God. Okay, Old Testament priests, you came to the priest and they offered sacrifices to God on your behalf for your forgiveness. The priest was the intercessor, the person in between you and God. And that's what he's saying, I want you as a people to be. I want you to be the people who intercede for all the other nations on earth between them and me. I want you to fill that role of priest, all of you. I want you to stand before me and and. and, and lead people to me and tell people and instruct people because that's what the priest did. You went to the priest, you said, I've sinned, I did this sin. And the priest would say, well, you need to bring you know, two turtle doves or you need to bring a ram or you need to bring a goat and you have to, or you have to bring a, an offering of wheat. Or, and, and the priest would tell you what God has already said, this is what you must do in order to be restored with me. The priest would say, this is what God has said for you to be right with him. And that's what he wanted the people of Israel to be. The people that when the other nations came and they said, I want to be right with God, that they would look out to them and say, well, this is what God said. This is what God said you have to do to be right with him. He wanted the whole nation to be a kingdom of priests for him, to all the other people who are also his. The whole world belongs to him. And so that's why he called them out for that special relationship to point the people of all the nations, to point the whole world to him. And to be a holy nation, set apart, living the way that he wants all people to live in relationship with him. And so what did the people do? They accepted. And this is where you have the applause and everybody's sweet and, and think, you know, it's wonderful when, when, when the, the woman accepts the man's proposal. This is what happened. They, Moses came down and told the Israelites and they accepted. Verse 7 and 8. After Moses came back, he summoned the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. Then all the people responded together, We will. There you go. There's your marriage. We will. We will do all that the Lord has spoken. So Moses brought the people's words back to the Lord. So God had the people come to the foot of the mountain to meet him, and to hear the terms of the covenant relationship. Exodus 19, 16 through 19. On the third day, when morning came, there was thunder and lightning, a thick cloud on the mountain, and a very loud trumpet sound, so that all the people in the camp shuddered. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was completely enveloped in smoke because the Lord came down on it in fire. Its smoke went up like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain shook violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in the thunder. Now this this is one of those places where we kind of veer away from our modern marriage ceremonies. This is not normally how we celebrate marriages, but there's... Thunder and darkness and lightning and clouds and fire. Why? Because God, this is not a marriage between a man and a woman. This is a covenant relationship with, between a sinful people and a holy God. God is perfectly holy and just. And they had to stay away from the mountain because they were sinful and not yet under his covenant protection. And so he comes down on this mountain and they're terrified as every single person we read in the Bible who comes into the presence of God, we read about them, they become terrified because they realize their own sinfulness and they realize His holiness and how they deserve, we deserve to be judged by this holy God. We deserve that. And so they're they're scared. But God comes down and He speaks with the people and He gives them the Ten Commandments. Now, Have y'all learned the Ten Commandments? Have y'all memorized the Ten Commandments? I worked on this with the youth a few times. I'm not going to put them on the spot this morning. But (coughs) the Ten Commandments. Do not have any other gods besides me. Do not make any graven images, any idols for yourself. Do not misuse God's name. Honor the Sabbath by keeping it holy. The first four commandments are about your relationship with God. The next six are about your relationship with others. Five, honor your father and mother. Six, do not murder. Seven, do not commit adultery. Eight, do not steal. Nine, do not lie. And ten, do not covet. So it gives you four commands about how to relate to me, him. And then it gives you six on how to relate to each other. Why? Because you can't separate the two. You can't love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and then not love your neighbor, those who God is also desires to, to have a relationship with and, 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 and yearn earnestly for. And he tells them this right at the beginning. He says, here are, here are the, uh, the standard. Here's the, the agreement. Here are the terms. The terms, that's the word I'm looking for. Here are the terms. And we do the same thing in covenant marriages today, do we not? When we ask the man and the woman to say their vows, what are we telling them to do, asking them to do? They are announcing the terms of their marriage relationship. And what you'll see is it's not a contract, it's a covenant. A contract, you're going to say, here is what you must do, and if you don't do it, then the contract is null and void. It's broken, You didn't uphold your end of the contract. A covenant is not like that. A covenant is, here are the terms, and if you don't hold to them, I'm going to make you hold to them. You don't just get to null and void it. You must then follow it. You must then come back to the original terms of the contract. So what are the contract terms? We say, and y'all help me on this, because I haven't done this but three times or so. I, John, take you, Lindsay, to be my lawful wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, to, <laughs> to, uh, this is a fine new, I wrote it down, but I wrote it on a different slide, so I don't have it right here. Uh, in sickness and in health, uh, in for richer, for poorer, and there's one more before that. Um, to love and To cherish in sickness and in health, for richer or for poor, till when? Till death do us part. What is this? These are the terms. We're going to marry each other, and the terms are, I'm going to love you when it's easy, and I'm going to love you when it's difficult. I'm going to love you when things are going great, when we have wealth, and I'm going to love you when we're flat broke, even if it's your fault. <laughs> the point is, the covenant is, I'm going to treat you this way in our covenant relationship, period. And if you don't, then what, is, what do you do? You ask forgiveness and you try to uphold that covenant agreement. And that's what God is doing here. He's showing, telling the people, if you're going to enter into this relationship with me, then this is how you're going to treat me and treat each other. These are the terms. And all the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain surrounded by smoke. When the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. You speak to us, and we will listen, they said to Moses. But don't let God speak to us, or we will die. Moses responded to the people, Don't be afraid, for God has come to test you so that you will fear him and will not sin, okay? You see that? He said this is why he's looking so terrifying on the mountain right now. This is why it's so scary. This is why you're so afraid right now, because he wants you to fear him so that you will not sin, a.k.a. not break this covenant. What is sin? Sin is breaking those commands he just gave you not to love me and to start to love other gods, not to honor me and to start to dishonor me, not in starting to hurt other people, starting to murder and kill and all these sins, which is breaking of the Ten Commandments he just gave us. He said he doesn't want you to do that. He wants you to stay faithful in this covenant relationship with me. All the people remained standing at a distance as Moses approached the total darkness where God was. So the people, and this is what's significant, The people actually heard God's voice for the first Ten Commandments. They heard God, the Scripture says. They heard Him. Now, He only gave them a small portion. That's what we call the Ten Commandments. He gave them a small portion, which is the most important, I guess you'd say, the most basic fundamental. They heard His voice. They heard the terms themselves. And then they said to Moses, okay, 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 okay. You go and talk to God and come back and tell us what he said because we're afraid, because we're so sinful, we're afraid that if we stay in his presence any longer, we're not going to make it. So you go talk to him and come back and tell us what he says. So the people heard God give these ten laws. They asked Moses to go tell him the rest and come back and tell them to to them, and so he did. So the next three chapters includes many, many more laws about how the people must relate to God and to each other. And after all of this, then the people are asked again if they want to enter into this covenant with God under these terms. So God lays out all the terms for our relationship. He says, If you're going to be in a relationship with me, this is how I expect you to uphold that, your end of the relationship. So Moses comes back, tells him all the other commands. God says, Exodus 24, 1 through 3. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of Israel's elders, and bow and worship at a distance. Moses alone is to approach the Lord, but the others are not to approach, and the people are not to go up with him. Moses came and told the people all the commands of the Lord and all the ordinances. Then all the people responded with a single voice. We will do everything the Lord has commanded. And there is their agreement. We will do everything that God has commanded. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early the next morning and set up an altar and 12 pillars for the 12 tribes of Israel at the base of the mountain. Then he sent out young Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half the blood and set it in basins. The other half of the blood he splattered on the altar. He then took the covenant scroll and read it aloud to the people. There it is again. He took the covenant scroll and he read it to the people. This are, these are the terms of the covenant God is offering to you. They responded again, a third time, we will do and obey all that the Lord has commanded. Moses took the blood, he splattered it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you concerning all these words this is what made it official this is the the exchanging of the rings so to say that now that you have heard all the terms you have thought them through you have had chance to make a decision and you have agreed to the terms of this covenant relationship with god now their sacrifice has been made and the blood has been splattered on you to cover over your sins to to initiate that relationship with god you're now forgiven because of the blood, the covering of the blood, you're now forgiven and now allowed to be in that relationship with God. Then Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and seventy of Israel's elders. I don't know if you remember from reading it before, but the first time that the, the Israel's elders went up, they were not allowed to be to to, see, to go into God's presence. They had to stay halfway up the mountain. But this time it says, and they saw the God of Israel. They saw him. After the covenant ceremony, after the forgiveness and the blood splattered on them, after they've entered into this relationship with God, the first time they were not allowed to be in his presence, and the second time, it says, and this time, they actually saw God. God revealed himself to them. And beneath his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli, as clear as the sky itself. God did not harm the Israelite nobles. They saw him and they ate and drank. Here it is. This is what God is showing. You can have with me a beautiful, wonderful relationship with me. We can be together. We can eat together. We can have a relationship together. And this is what I want you to declare to all the rest of the nations of earth. This is what I want you to show the other people of the earth how they can have this with me. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay there so that I may give you the stone tablets with the law and commandments I have written for their instruction. So Moses arose with his assistant Joshua and went up the mountain of God. It goes on to say, and it's not a big deal, but um, in verse 16, which I don't have, um, it goes on to say, that the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called Moses from the cloud. And so this whole, this waiting period here was this seven-day period. And then he went up for another 40 days and 40 nights. And I just thought it interesting that the marriage ceremonies in Jesus' day would have spanned a seven-day period. And so you have this, this maybe this tradition came from this covenant ceremony with God, I don't know. But you had Jesus in, in his day, marriage Uh, celebrations would have been a um, seven-day celebration. And we go back to this covenant ceremony, and it's six days, he's on the mountain, and seventh day, he then proceeds on up. Um, But God asked them if they wanted to enter into his relationship with him, and they said yes. So then, they had the covenant ceremony, just like a wedding, a covenant ceremony between a man and a woman. This was the covenant ceremony between sinful people and a holy God. And after the ceremony is a celebration and a feast. Seventy of Israel's elders saw God and feasted in his presence. And that is what God is offering to us today. He has defeated our enemy, Satan, and has freed us from his grip. Hebrews two fourteen and 15. Now, since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these, meaning in Jesus became a human with flesh and blood, so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. So Jesus is our knight in shining armor. Jesus comes down. We're being held as slaves to the fear of death, as all people are. They're afraid to die. Most of them believe There's nothing after, in this country, there's nothing after life or because they say I'm I'm atheist or they say, I hope there's something after life, after this life, but, you know, and I hope I'm good enough to go there. But either way, they're terrified of actually finding out. They're terrified of actually dying. It says the scripture says that all people are held slaves by the fear of death by the one holding the power of that death. Who was who? Satan, the devil, the dragon. So Jesus comes down, and Jesus destroys the dragon. He's our knight who destroyed the dragon. But by Jesus defeating Satan doesn't mean that everybody is automatically now Jesus' slaves and are forced into a relationship with him. No, he does the same thing. He said, I defeated the dragon. Now you're free. You're free to choose. I'm offering this invitation for a relationship with, With you and me, covenant relationship forever. I'm offering this to you. You're now free to make that choice. But you don't have to. The question is, do we make that choice? Do we love him enough to make that choice? And I'm going to read a a controversial uh, passage, but it's okay. That kind of paints this picture for us in a way that we need to see it. It's about marriage and how it relates to God. Ephesians five twenty-two 22-32. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. And so we see these two things being linked together in the New Testament. Marriage and our relationship as the church with Christ. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. And then he goes on to husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, ...or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh this mystery is profound but i'm talking about christ in the church paul goes way out of his way to paint this picture of the church us our relationship with christ as mimicking the relationship of marriage and a husband and a wife and that's how one of the ways that god sees our relationship with him that christ is the groom And the church is the bride. We are in a covenant marriage relationship with Christ. And therefore, we're expected to be faithful to him and him alone and to treat him and others the way you would expect the person who loves you the most in this world to be treated. And here's the, here it is. I, John, take thee, Lindsay, to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. And so when God gives us all these commands about to flee from sin, do not sin, run from sin, resist the devil, This is all about how we are treating Him and our relationship with Him. You ask your spouse to not sin against you. You ask your spouse to not treat you wrong. You ask your spouse to not treat the kids wrong. And that's what God is asking of us. Treat me right. Treat the rest of my kids right. Flee from sin and treat me right. Because I love you. And so we see the order. It's not... Here's the law, and if you agree to obey it, then I'll rescue you and set you free. No, he rescues you and sets you free first to demonstrate his great love for you, and then in response to you being free, in response to demonstrating his love for you, then he offers, he doesn't force, he offers that invitation for you to enter into that covenant relationship, which is a choice that you have to make, that I choose to to enter into this relationship with him and to be holy for he is holy, to treat him right because I know he's going to treat me right. He always treats me right. And so I'm going to do everything I can to treat him right and to treat the rest of his, his loved ones right. And that's the offer given to us. The terms to uphold so that we can have the relationship that we desire, and that he deserves. That's why the Apostle John said this, and I'll close with this. John said in John chapter 14, verse 15, if, or John, John this is the gospel, Apostle John, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And what I want you to see when you read that is, if you love me, you will treat me right. You see that? If you love me, you will treat me right. You will do what's right to me. You will keep my commands. 14.23, Jesus answered, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. And the Apostle John in 1 John 5.3 says, For this is what love for God is, to keep his commands, and his commands are not a burden. Why are they not a burden? In the same reason that it's not a burden to treat your spouse right. It's not a burden. You want to. You want to. Because you love them. That's why his commands are not a burden. You want to. Because you love him. 1 John 4, 7 through 11. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. What this verse shows, that we, love is not that we loved God, but that he loved us. is showing that the initiative, the first step was taken by God, not us. God demonstrated his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Romans 5, 8 says, Christ died for us. Whilst we had still not made that initial show of love to God, he made the first step and showed us how much he loved us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners against him. It's because of his love for us and his rescue of us that we in return fall in love with him and make that commitment to follow Him, to keep His commands, enter in that loving relationship with Him, knowing that what He's got promised for us is uh, greater than we can possibly imagine. The future that He has in store for us is greater than we can dream up and make on Hollywood screens. It really is. If you don't believe me, just go back and watch some of these older videos that talked about heaven and you'll say, man, we've come a long way since then that don't even look very good anymore. That's my whole point. We can't, in, in our Our most creative we can get doesn't come close to what God has in store for us. God loves us. He desires a relationship with us, but he gives us a choice. He sets us free and gives us that choice to decide. Do we want to marry him? Do we want to be the bride of Christ, the church, to enter into that relationship with him? And are we being that kingdom of priests and that holy nation that he's asked us to be? Are we being that intercessor for those who don't have that relationship to tell them how they can have that relationship? How God has already done everything for them to have that relationship with him. And he's offering that relationship. I love y'all. Not near as much as God does. But I do. I love you. And I, and I I pray that it, the more we read the Bible and study the Bible the rest of our lives we continue to grow closer to him and see how much he loves us and realize how he loves us even more than we thought we we thought he did. And how he's the perfect father. And we could never want anyone greater than him to be our God. We could never want anyone greater So all we're going to do is Jesus told us to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And that's what I've seen here at this church over and over again. People pouring their hearts out in love for God and love for others. And I'm very, very encouraged by this bride of Christ that we have here congregated together. And I look forward to feasting around that table with all of you when we get to heaven if we go before he comes back and around on that new earth that he makes when he comes back I look forward to my future with all of you we'll be better friends then than we are now and the most the best relationship you have with another person on this earth will be even better when God removes all sin all selfishness, all suffering. It'll be even better in the life to come. And I look forward to that. I look forward to spending it with you. So if there's a person in this soul, a soul in this room, that is not 100% sure that they will be spending their eternity around that table with Christ, then I beg you to make sure of it before you leave this place today. And to be ready to offer it as Easter comes and opportunities arise. To share that loving message with those that have come across your path that you may rarely see. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. But Father, we know we don't love you near as much as you love us. But Father, we are thankful. We are thankful for your love for us. And we are thankful for your offer of a covenant relationship with you. And so Father, I pray that we have all in this room have made that decision but if not would finalize that decision today that we've heard the terms we know what you've asked we've weighed the, the choice weighed the options and we have found that you are worth it that you are worth uh, an eternity of us being completely devoted to you and Father we, we, we can never never pay you back and you haven't asked us to you've just asked us to treat you right and to treat everyone else right. And Father, we thank you. We thank you that not only your love for us is so great, or that your love for the Israelites is so great, but that your love for all of the people who belong, that are yours, that your creation, that all the people on this earth, that your love for them is so great. Father, give us that same love. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. If y'all would stand for our closing song.